0: I'm Ziraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clash and Sabres Network.
1: Here we go again. Chewing. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You
0: and the chosen one! Something truly special.
1: Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. You love him more than sand, but less than the Naboo Lakeside. It's... (laughs)
0: What? Hi. um, It's just Drew. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I'm between sand and other sand? Okay. Yeah. Obviously. You're an enigma. What, it, what is a lakeside if uh, wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in a conundrum, right? Exactly. That's why we all love <laughs>
1: you so much. Today, we're going to be delving into uh, a character analysis discussing the best and butts of one Padme Amidala Nabari Skywalker. Uh, so that's why Sand and Naboo and all of that stuff uh, is apropos. Nice. But it's also apropos because this is the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. And has also oh, yeah. seen the release of the third book in the Queen's trilogy, so we felt like it was important to talk about and give some time to such an important character. Uh, so sh- should be should be a pretty interesting conversation and discussion for sure, because I think uh, both of us are, are coming from different angles uh, on this character and in approaches to uh, to Padme and her importance in uh, our personal, uh, Star Wars stories. So that'll be a lot of fun. But Drew, I know you've been, you've read Queens, uh, Queens Hope. We're going to keep that and save that for a conversation later on. What non Padme stuff have you been Star Warsing lately?
0: Oh man. You take away the only thing that I've read. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, Let's see, it's gearing up for celebration, really has been much of it. Trying to, They have recently released a list of all the 8 billion panels you can choose from. So I've got to figure out how to sift through those and figure out which ones are the key ones to get to uh, for our lovely little excursion out to Anaheim in just a few weeks now. I am very, very disappointed that the Visions panel is Sunday afternoon when I'll be on a plane. That's going to be cool because it's really the most exciting one. Um, There's rumors we're going to get Vision Season 2 announced. And so I'll not be there for that. That just makes me feel all kinds of awesome. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's that's the hard part is like you
1: want to stay for all four days, but it's kind of impractical to stay for all four days for most people. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean... I wasn't really even expecting stuff to happen on Thursday. I'm glad I'm getting in Same. in the morning time.
0: Like I, I, I was, I kind of always thought that Thursday was like there's the big night event where they kind of welcome everybody in and make their big announcements. But that was kind of it. But no, the the day starts at like eleven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and it runs till seven. I was like, holy moly, it, it, was this a mistake? Should we have gotten Thursday passes as well? I, I wasn't. I, I don't know. It's it's kind of a a little frustrating. But that's all right. We're gonna have a good time.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting in. I think like ten or eleven California time. So I'm gonna go for a little while. But I think one, I think that it's possible that having all the two years backlogging celebration, it's like true. All right, let's make up for all of this now. But also just listening to. I've been listening to, like, other shows a lot over the last couple years of, of, like, talking about celebration and what to do, what not to do, all of that stuff. And then one of the, like, through threads that I've found is, like, find the panels that you really want to go to and get to those. But do, like, one, maybe two a day that are, like, your must-go-tos. And then other than that, just... Wander and see what you find because that tends to be what people have the most fond memories of of, you know, wandering into the fan stage and finding a cool one or going, hey, I've got an hour here between these two panels. Oh, cool, I'll go check out this Delray one. I'm not really into the books. And then all of a sudden they get into the books or, uh, you know, mm. walking around to the different creators and seeing the cosplays and all of those things. Um, so... I'm going to try to get to as much as I can because I want to get the most bang for my buck because we've obviously like invested money in this. And I mean, just because of life and and this tends to be the time of year that they have it, which is a very inconvenient time for uh, it being in education. So I don't know Mm -hmm. how often I'm going to be able to go. um, So I want I'm treating this as if it's the only one I'm ever going to go to. So yeah, I yeah. want to do as much as I can and experience as much as I can in hope. Hopefully it's not, but, um, in a weird way, that's kind of taken the pressure off of me because I'm not like thinking of like, I have to figure everything out about celebration. It's just go and have a good time.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to get, maintain that same kind of mentality as well. There is a couple of things I want to make sure I hit, Um, But there's also some fun stuff that I think that that our kids would really like. There's a panel uh, several times that's kind of just Star Wars origami. And it's done with the author of the book of the origami series that my kids have loved. So I really kind of want to get them into that. I think they'll have a good time doing that. And I feel like if I do one for them, then I can go do one for me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think anyone else is going in the family is going to want to go to the, the High higher public sing along or whatever it is that they're doing that one day. Uh, that'll be fun to do. Where they go and hopefully we'll get some news on phase two and some uh, releases. And I'd really like to see the authors that was they've announced all five of the authors from Project Luminous or five of the original authors at least going to be there because i haven't they've added a couple names now i think george mann is officially part of the higher man uh zara cordova's
1: uh, coming back yeah 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 that'll be cool yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of hers uh i, I think she did
0: black the black spire book right
1: uh uh well the crash of fate no, but in the black crash spire of... crash of fate is right cordova uh the black spire book itself is delilah s dawson but is it really? Yeah, but the uh Zoraida Cordova one happens in Black Spire. So they released around the same time when they were oh, building up that lore okay. around Yeah. When they were building up the lore around Batuu and it's everything so like weird. that. It it was it's weird and chunky, but uh the book is I mean, it's a very small, intimate story. The whole book happens in a single day, save for the well the main events happen in a single day there's a little bit of setup beforehand um you see like the two main characters when they were younger whatever but that's maybe 30 to 40 pages at most and the rest of it all happens in a day but um just as a fascinating little side note that she mentioned in there because we interviewed her so long ago is she actually had the map of batu like the disney map or whatever laid out and she had uh, I don't remember if she said fun. I think she said Funkos. It may have been action figures, but she had <laughs> ones that represented the different people, and so she was moving them around as she was writing to make sure that they were going in the right path so that people, when oh, people go, man. they could follow... And she's like, I don't know if people would actually do it, but I think it added a, you know, a level of realism to it and stuff like that. So I just that no, was cool to cool. me of like just seeing somebody, you know, they're writing this Star Wars story and they have a Disney map and Funko pops out. It's just the <laughs> coolest
0: thing. Like Yeah, all of our creators in this world are pretty big nerds. It's, it's kinda cool. It's like Robert Rodriguez who's, you know, making his previs for Mandalorian season two episodes out of his toys in his
1: backyard. Yeah.
0: It's pretty
1: neat, honestly. I like it very much. Well, and and <laughs> it's it's especially interesting because like we grew up at you know as the generation you know of uh, well generations at this point of playing with Star Wars toys growing up and playing you know Star Wars with our uh, you know lightsabers and stuff and so we were grew up telling Star Wars stories and now you know those people are the ones actually making Star Wars stories so it makes sense mm-hmm. that we would go back to you know the root of what we what we did you know like you played with action figures telling a star wars story well then that would make sense that you know like robert rodriguez did you take the action figures and it just it makes sense to you because that's what you grew up doing that's how you learned how to tell stories in a way so i'm just fascinated to hear the stories that people have really looking forward to meeting um well obviously meeting ashley is going to be the highlight of my weekend (laughs) um that's really the only thing that I care about happening at this point other than like actually finally getting to meet up with you guys after how many years of talking about it Uh, it's gonna be pretty pretty fantastic but I just I'm I'm really looking forward to just going in with as low expectations as possible not because I think I'll be disappointed but just because I don't want to go in expecting like this jam-packed weekend where I get into all these panels and learn all this new stuff and, uh, you know, have all these life-changing, I just want to go and hang out with Star Wars people.
0: The one thing I'm on the hunt for when we actually get to Celebration is I want to find a lightsaber hilt from Ronin. That's kind of like the holy grail for the weekend. If anybody out there happens to see it, uh, let me know because I'd really like to take one of those home with me.
1: Yeah, that would be pretty cool. That, I mean, even not being a huge fan of of the book, uh, that lightsaber hilt is just freaking cool.
0: It's just amazing. They're all really good. There's uh, all the ones in the book that they've described and kind of game out a little bit are really, really neat. So I'm hoping that somebody out there is going to have those. They may not, and that's no big deal, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it, and that's part of of the fun of celebration. From you know everything I've gathered is just going, <laughs> and you you just find cool stuff, and you you meet people, and you see the things they've created, and all the different kinds of sweat. I mean, shoot, I'm bringing an extra bag just because I know I'm going to end up getting so much stuff from meeting other creators and stuff like that. So should be a lot of fun. Uh, so with that said. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we will get into the mother of Star Wars, Padme Amidala. You're late again. (sighs) Padme, I'm so sorry.
0: We didn't anticipate the Outer Rim Sieges would last this long.
1: That would be why they call it a siege, Anakin.
0: I know. I just thought that I...
1: You thought you could bring a swift end to the conflict, single-handedly. Yeah. (laughs) Anakin, what you're doing is important. The Republic needs you on the front lines, just as they need my voice in the Senate.
0: I know. It's Rex. I'm worried he's letting his personal feelings drive him too much on this mission.
1: I wonder where he learned that. You've known Rex a long time. When you throw caution to the wind and take chances, where is he?
0: Right beside me.
1: Then maybe that's where you should be for him, Annie. Trust his instincts like he trusts yours. All right, we are back, and we are talking about Padme Amidala today. And I'm very excited about this because... Drew, you and I have had a lot of conversations about Padme, but not about her like overall character. We've talked okay. about, uh, you know, the Queen's books. We've had conversations about a, you know, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, but we haven't focused in on Padme's character in particular. So, I'm really excited to do this usually you set some parameters and rules for yourself when it comes to these, <laughs> these lists, which is always, always interesting. Cause we don't talk about these things beforehand. So we kind of have some, some variety to our list. So what, uh, what kind of rules did you set here? Uh, um, as it regards Padme,
0: this one was a little bit harder because if we approach it from the best and butts, uh, perspective where we try and figure out our, our top three and, and bottom three, uh, things of appreciation, basically, uh, I get kind of weird about this one because I don't want to come off as aggressively anti this character. Um, and I don't, I don't feel that way, but I feel like sometimes when I talk about Padme as a character, it doesn't come out well. Like it doesn't sound like I speak very highly of her. And I don't know if that's a a fair thing, but I I don't want people who are huge fans of hers to feel like I, I have a distaste for her. Um, now, having said that, there, the things that are, I don't care for in her character uh, might be the things that other people love about her, and uh, that makes me just feel a little uncomfortable. So I don't want to like take time. I don't want to spend the whole evening kind of bashing the character because that's not fun. That's not exciting. So I'm going to do my best to make sure we celebrate the things that are awesome. Um, I think part of my issue is that the character in the movies is not nearly as exciting as the characters in the books and the comics and things. So I feel like a lot of things I really appreciate for her uh, don't start in the the cinematic side of things. With with some exceptions, um, so I, I just I, I just want to tread a little carefully, and I don't want anybody to think like, oh, he hates this, he hates the women characters. That's not not the case at all. Um, I also don't really like feel what you said earlier, like we're going to talk about the best and butts of Padme. I was like, I don't want to talk about Padme's butt. That's not appropriate. <laughs> that, that's I that's don't fair. want to do that. That's that fair. That makes me feel icky in all kinds of ways.
1: <laughs> we will not do that. But, uh, I do think that it is important to, you know, realize that nothing is absolute and that you can both love aspects, aspects of the character. Exactly. Know? And she does not fall to the Sith. We see that uh, that we know of, that we know of. That's fair. I mean, we do have a lot of her life. It would seem it'd be very hard. It'd be harder than you know, convincing someone of Darth Jar Jar to convince somebody that Padme fell to the dark side.
0: I wonder. uh, Let me think. I'll have to marinate on that one for a little bit, though.
1: We'll come back. We'll come back
0: to it. Come back to it.
1: But I mean, duality, you know, exists, but it there's also a spectrum, and and you can have aspects of a character that you like, you can have aspects of a character that you don't like. You can uh you know like them in certain media and not like them in other media. So nothing is absolute and and so I think that's what's interesting about a, a conversation like this is it's taking a character and who has both really high highs and really low lows and trying to kind of parse out what really is a, a through line of what works with this character and makes the character engaging and what are things that um, fall short or or could have been done better to make the character more engaging because i think lucas tried to do and i'm going to get into this a lot in my list lucas tried to do things with the character but didn't really right get the character and so i'll, I'll go ahead and kind of start because i kind of segues into my bottom number three um so before that if you haven't listened before when we do these the bottom three are like three things that we critique or think we could do better and we go from least egregious to most egregious and then our top three is your your basic top three idea so for me my number three is uh revenge of the sith and yeah, i knew this was gonna be on your list yeah, yeah. As much as I love this film, and I, I, I love it a lot, Padme's arc, and I'm using air quotes, <laughs> is a huge miss. Uh, the only thing that really works is her line of, so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. But mm-hmm. even that isn't as impactful as it could have been. Because she's sitting there next to Bail Organa, but we have no context of their relationship at all. It's just in the, if you just know the film itself, it's like either A, who is this guy that's sitting with her all of a sudden? Or B, well, that's weird. They just put her right next to Leia's dad to make it awkward. (laughs) But that's what really gets me about the whole thing is there are deleted scenes and alternate storylines that develop the character so much better. Uh, you have that the the famous deleted scene of her with the Loyalist Council and it, it right. puts her in the room where it happens and she's there with Bale and Mon Mothma and the seeds of the Rebellion are being planted. And that's huge when you consider, you know, who Luke and Leia are going to become and I'm going to come back to that later. But... It also builds tension between the idea of duty and love, which is a through line throughout the entirety of the movie. You have Anakin having those same tensions. uh, You have Obi-Wan having those same tensions. And you have Padme, and you have the material to set up that same situation from three different angles and add more uh, diversity to it, more dynamics to it, uh, and, and all of that stuff and yet padme is just there she gets sad she dies (laughs) thank you and it's like 10 more minutes to the film and you have something truly special and for some reason that i will never understand those things were cut from the movie and i've heard arguments of like all the audiences would have gotten too bogged down in the the politics of it. Have you seen The Phantom Menace? Aw. <laughs> uh, well,
0: that's yeah, a pretty fair assessment.
1: It's fair, and I love those scenes. So, but that's not a valid argument. It just, it's like the ball was just dropped, and she just became, not in terms of, like, a a sexual object or anything like that but she really does just become a an object in this film where yeah. she's yeah. there because somebody needs to be Luke and Leia's mom. Ouch. And and it it hurt it, it really does hurt because I think you had created this character in the first two movies that had depth to it. That you, I mean, look at Phantom Menace. She is a great leader. She is confident. She is uh, brave. She's the conscience of the prequel trilogy, really. And then the ball just drops with her. And it's just really disappointing um, that that happened because I think that would have added to her character. If you develop her more, obviously, it would have made Anakin's fall even more painful because you care more about Padme. It would have added depth to Luke and Leia because you you have now not only do you know a lot about their father, but you know a lot about their mother. So I just think that uh, I, I don't really know why I've never really been able to figure out why Luke is made. The choices that he did and i usually for the most part try to respect the creator's intentions and stuff like that but this is one where i just don't get it and i can't think of a valid reason for it
0: hmm interesting yeah i can i can definitely understand that it definitely she 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 turns um in her purpose where she's not as active a player in what happens and more she's just there for anakin and obi-wan to bounce off of unfortunately
1: yeah, and, and I've heard people say and this isn't something that that I came up with, obviously, but uh, people have said like she's just barefoot and pregnant in yeah. this movie,
0: and like like literally, she's li- not wearing shoes in that in that entire sequence. It's like okay, sure, this is really scary. <laughs> yeah, so
1: just really unfortunate, especially when you live in a universe that has characters like. Padme that you had in the first two movies, Leia, and now even getting more amazing female characters like Rey mm-hmm. and Jin and, and Holdo, Holdo, Ahsoka, Bo Katan, like all of these characters, it just really makes that aspect of Padme's character hurt a lot more, uh, and and it hurt like for me personally, this aspect is is I guess more painful for lack of a better term because i do love every scene that padme's in like everything that she's in i never am like oh here's that padme scene (laughs) i i enjoy all of the scenes that she's in i think natalie portman does a great job like i have a padme shirt that i wear on the reg like so it's just really disappointing that she basically just got like written off in the, the the final season of the series, kind of, you know? It's just like, oh, yeah, she she just moved away. She got sad and she died.
0: She got sad and she died. Yeah, that really is kind of... Uh, it seems like Lucas kind of just ran out of good ideas for her to to participate in. He, he didn't assign her enough of a protagonist role, so she had no protag to go and do. Yeah. So that was a little rough for her in that one. Yeah. Uh, mine is similar to that, number three. And, again, this is kind of like this one and the next one are kind of a little bit lousy um kind of picks but I, again these are the things that kind of bother me the most i think the action sequences and attack of the clones at, on geonosis specifically are a little rough especially when you compare it to the action she gets to participate in uh in the in the qui-gon jinn a solo story or a star wars story movie so just there's something weird about the way in which she's up against the blue screen action in the smelting facility getting stuck in a lava bucket is just kind of feels very very strange and and out of place in that film um and then what she does in the arena it's it's fun to i don't know there's something awkward and weird about the way in which it's done just maybe it's just visually on screen unsettling for some reason and maybe it's just the overwhelming amount of of cgi and blue screen that they're doing but the way like You think about like the 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 one shot where she's on the back of a i think it's the reek and she's firing her blaster there's just something so artificial and so not with her heart in it that it stands out in contrast to like when in the phantom menace they're storming through the palace and she's you know uh taking out battle droids left and right as they're they're trying to hunt down the viceroy like That sequence in in Phantom Menace feels really solid because, you know, she's got a group of people around her and they're kind of moving in squads and it's interesting interactions and whatnot. And they use the environment in neat ways where they go out the window and up to the next floor. But when we look at Attack of the Clones, it feels very clunky, very like we're all sitting on blue boxes kind of thing. Like, do you get that feeling, that sense of, like, in that arena, it's just they they lose all sense of relationship to reality at all? Or is that uh, my
1: imagination? I don't as much in the arena as I do in the factory. Uh, that is very chunky, and it feels like nobody nobody in the scene really had a good feel of where things actually were or what things were going to look like, which t- to a level makes sense because the technology was so new and had not been done on that scale before, so that's a good
0: point. Maybe there would just was a learning curve for acting against those kinds yeah. of things that n- nobody had really had the time to really put together and master at that point. Yeah, I and wonder so, if there's a, a lack of of that kind of uh, experience because nobody had really done that kind of stuff before.
1: Right, like not. I mean, Phantom Menace was was the first like one where that really happened to such a. An extent, and then we you know Attack of the Clones. It just went to to a whole nother level, uh, yeah. I, and then I I think with the reek itself, I think that is more uh, a fault of the movements of the reek in that scene than it is the acting of of Padme. It's it's hard to, like I feel like she's trying to simulate the movements of the animal rather than. Whatever device they're on, whatever oh, okay, model yeah. they're on, it's kind of like if, if in uh, in Rise of Skywalker, there's a scene, there's a moment where like Finn and Jaina are on the Star Destroyer and it gets shot and they like start to kind of like fall and Finn does this weird like lean forward and you can tell that like. They were like, okay, you're falling now. And he just had to like (laughs) lean. But they also like moved the camera at a weird angle at the same time to show him like falling in that direction. So it just looks like he's like doing a reverse moonwalk with a blaster out. It's a okay. really, it's really weird. It's very specific, but it's one of those things that I notice
0: every single time. That's and so funny. I've never, I've never even heard of that about it. I've, I have no idea where that is. I might have to next time it's on, pay a little bit of attention to the film. Yeah, this time.
1: It, you, if you see it, you won't unsee it. You won't unsee, yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of that situation there too is, uh, that, I think it just, the movements weren't natural for everybody in that situation. And I think also when it comes to attack of the clones and I, I've said ad nauseum, how much I love that movie. Uh, she is a much softer character in that movie than she was in phantom menace. And so Mm. I think, I don't know if it was the direction or a choice by Natalie Portman or anything like that, but Even the warrior side of her seems a little bit softer. Like, in Phantom Menace, I get the feel that she is both warrior and like compassion
0: i i i understand where you're going with that like the character feels a little different a little squishier yeah i think that is definitely part of the story that's kind of the change that we're supposed to see over the course of that particular film for her because she she starts out in the same very similar mindset as as phantom menace ends where you know with the assassination attempt uh on the landing platform and she's like i just gotta you just gotta keep moving um, but, and she does change over the course of the film as the relationship with Anakin deepens um, so I, I, it definitely is something that happens but, even, but there's something about just strictly those couple moments there where it doesn't feel like it fits with the world around it and it kind of breaks the illusion for, for a while there that's, that's my issue with that particular portion of the character
1: that's fair. That's fair. I, my number two is also in Attack of the Clones, and this is one I Sorry, think, Adriana. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think this is one that's going to throw at least you and everybody for a curveball. Uh, okay, here we go. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll, we'll see. She falls in love with Anakin too quickly.
0: Th- this shocks absolutely no one on planet Earth. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. uh... Well, we're gonna talk a lot about this aspect in a few more
1: minutes well here's the thing and i and i say it, it's shocking that i'd say it because i do love anakin and padme's relationship i uh i love that it's the route that Ugh, lucas close. chose <laughs>
0: i'm a hopeless romantic no no that's not what that means <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'll let you. I'll stop interrupting. Go ahead. Let continue. me dig my own grave, please. Go I'm for doing it. Doing great work here. You're you're doing great. No,
1: but I love I love that the the romantic aspect is the route that Lucas chose to be the downfall of Anakin, and while there are very valid, and the older I get, the more aware of them I become, cringe moments with uh, Anakin and Padme. I love their relationship, uh, and and. My problem is not with the relationship itself. It's not even with the story that's being told. My issue is that, and this kind of this kind of echoes what I said about Revenge of the Sith. But there's just not enough time spent developing the film, the relationship in the film itself. And I think a major fault of this is is not the character. Kind of what I was saying when is what Lucas did with the character, and I think here he tried to fit too much in too little time, which mm-hmm. is why we get greater iterations of her in Clone Wars and in the books, and and especially when you consider the Anakin Padme relationship, you get to see the ups and downs. You get to see uh, even she kind of like almost breaks up with Anakin for a minute after he beats the living hell out of Clovis. Oh yeah. Like, you get to see those ups and downs of their relationship, and so that makes you care more about how tragically it ends. So it's not that she fell in love with Anakin, and it's not even really how they developed it on screen in the in the scenes that are there, because I see even through all its flaws, I see what Lucas was attempting to do by doing like an old Hollywood style, but it just feels like one second she's saying, no, we can't be together. And the next second she's just like, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it just in the film itself. It just is too quick. And so it becomes, and I think this is what gives a lot of people, Problems, it becomes harder to be invested in that relationship because you don't believe the characters actually got there by their own choices. You just feel like, okay, that's what had to happen for the story to continue. So here we are. And that's really sad because I think when you look at what we get in the Queen's books, when you look at what we get in the Clone Wars, I think there's a lot there in that Anakin Padme relationship that. Couldn't speak to both what a healthy relationship can be and what a very unhealthy relationship can be, and so I think it would have been a, a much much better if either Attack of the Clones was seven hours long or the prequels <laughs> uh, prequels should have been six movies. And Here's I rest my case.
0: The the. The the thing that makes that a very difficult leap to make, because well, I, I essentially agree with your point in that it, it, there's something lacking in there in order to make it a one believable and two, an endorsable relationship within the context of the film itself. If there wasn't that one sequence where Padme says, stop looking at me like that because you make me uncomfortable. And then within like the span of 30 minutes, she goes to, I completely and unabashedly love every single thing about you. Like, if it started off less with the creeper vibe then it would have been a it would be a more believable story at least to to me because at the beginning of the film she's actively repelling him um for those kinds of things like i don't appreciate what you're doing and at some point it has to switch and there's no I don't know that the film does a great job of explaining why that flip occurs. Because even when they're on Naboo, she's still like, this is, this, this would absolutely never work. Like, we come from two different worlds. We're two different people. And I don't want this, is the vibe that she's, is what she's saying without saying. But, it doesn't last. Um, and there's something to be said about what happens on Tatooine where she changes her appreciation for it. But it, again, her, her experience with him on Tatooine is not a super positive one. He finds his, his mother and brings her back and then mur- and murders all of these, all of the, uh, the Tusken Raiders. So she's experiencing him in the lowest, darkest moment of his life to that point. And it's like, this is what makes you love him. I think is what the film wants me to believe. I don't know that I can, I can make those connections and say this is a nice, healthy, good, strong relationship, especially when we know that Padme is such a smart person. Like yeah. She's very intelligent. She, she has a clear um, and well-defined moral compass. She knows the difference between right and wrong and good and bad, and, and, and yet still. And so if we're to take all the pieces at face value, from what we get in the film, it's not hard for me to draw the conclusion that are we supposed to understand that Anakin is manipulating her into loving him using the Force? Like, I don't know Like, I've always, you kind of wonder in the back of your mind, she's too smart for this, she's too good for him, and she doesn't want to be around him, and yet she does anyway. Well, we we actively know that Force users (laughs) have the ability to, to manipulate other people. Like, that's the whole idea of how Palpatine comes to power. Is is through his his subtle and not so subtle manipulation of systems and people. I had
1: never thought of that before. Really? No, not once.
0: It's it's the only thing I can think of when I see those things. Is because like, think about like that sequence where when she says "stop looking at me," like the last shot is him looking, you know, looking after her with this very very scary look on his face of like sorry my lady it's like bro what are you doing and it's like well of course what is he doing he's using the power that he has which is a force power so i, I don't know I, I don't think that's what the film it, intends us to draw for conclusions but i think there's more evidence for it than against it honestly so i, I agree with you that it's not a great explanation of how they get together um, and i have a very specific nit to pick about that again in a few minutes
1: <laughs> yeah I, I just want to close that by like saying this is another situation where the deleted scenes needed to be in the movie because <laughs> the scene, uh, the scenes with Padme and Anakin with the naberries adds so much to the characters. Like you, I don't know if you've read the, how recently you've read the attack of the clones novel, if you've read it at all. Oh but, man, that's a good question. They have this, it's a, fantastic book even if you're not a huge attack of the clones fan the the book is written just oh chef's kiss um each one of the prequels books gets better like phantom menace really good attack of the clones amazing revenge of the sith best book ever written but that's another conversation for another day mm. uh, <laughs> mm. uh patreon content hold on So, but as far as it uh, pertains to to Anakin and Padme and then to Barry's, like, you get the the family uh, dynamic there, you get, you know, to see Padme at home, you get to see this side of her that you haven't been able to see, and... And this is something that kind of like we get a little bit in the Attack of the Clones novel, a little bit in, in Queen Shadow. You get this idea of Padme contemplating, again, this duty versus love versus freedom kind of dynamic that uh, has has been expounded on more after the films came out. But of her, you know, wanting a regular life of not wanting to always be on the front lines, being able to have a family. So you get a better idea of why she would want that relationship to work in a similar way to how you understand, you know, Anakin trying to replace the love that in the unconditional love that he had from his mother and how he connects that with Padme. Like to me, that is a pretty like easy connection to make. And I think you could have made a very similar connection with Padme if you put those deleted scenes back in there. And I feel like there you could have cut, you know, a, as great as the genosis battles and everything is, cut it a little bit of that, uh, you know, shorten the 11 minute chase at the beginning of the movie. Like, yeah, there's that, all of that. And, and again, I like those aspects of the movie. They are very fun to watch, but this is one of those situations where I feel like Lucas wanted to do cool things, and the story kind of fell in after that. Which I I, yeah. I don't I feel so. like I don't feel like that's true for Phantom Menace. I feel like he he struck a good balance there. Uh, I feel like for Revenge of the Sith, he was a little better at balancing the two on a on a more grandiose scale. But when it comes to the attack of the clones, you just, you really get a lot of, as much as I love George Lucas and will defend George Lucas, you get a lot of, well, yeah, he liked the World War II stuff, so that's why we're getting a whole bunch of these shots, and he liked cars, so that's why we're getting an 11-minute car chase. <laughs> he liked cars. <laughs> like, it just- Yeah, I understand what you're y- saying. You know, and, and, and it's not to say that he doesn't deserve to, or didn't deserve to- make the art that he wanted to make. But when we're doing a character analysis and looking at how that adds to, or takes away from the character, I think Padme ends up because she's not a character we had in the original trilogy. She ends up taking the brunt of the, the lost storyline and the things that are, uh, viewed as, as not necessary to the film.
0: Hmm. I think we covered that one pretty sufficiently.
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, uh, we'll we'll come back to it again in a minute, but go Uh, ahead with yours.
0: Very specifically. Uh, My number two is when when we see poor Padme as the focus point of a storyline, there is a better chance than not that she's the target of an assassination. And I feel like it's a repeated plot use for her because no one really knows what else to do with her. Uh, it kind of stood out to me most in the first Queen's book, Queen's Peril. Uh, no, Shadow. Oh, I've done it again. Where I've forgotten which comes first. But there's uh, the only action sequences in that book are where she's this, where where again she is the target of an assassination plot, and it seems to me like that most of the content creators when they're they're using her for an action sequence, this is the thing that they do. Um, even you know, Attack of the Clones has it. The books have it. The cartoon had it. They, when she's in Clone Wars, she's constantly being attacked. And I wonder if, like in universe, no one else could think of a possible way to deal with a political adversary other than just killing them. I was like we've got to think about this. Let's workshop this idea a little bit more. If they really wanted to stall her tactics out, they wouldn't. They would stop trying to make her martyr out of her for her causes if they had just sat down and calmed down for just a minute, they probably could have come up with political solutions in order to take her out of the picture a little bit easier than putting a bomb in a droid and putting the droid in the hallway and hoping she walks past it. So I I just wish that there was something else they could do. Now this isn't the the only thing that that she is used for and stuck into action sequences. And that's great. There are times, especially, uh, we should probably like make sure we're clear. You finished the last Queens book now by this. point, I did. Yes. All right, good. I know you said let's not talk about it, but we have to bring up moments of it because they're important to the back half of this conversation as well. Um, She gets to do things that are a little bit action hero, and it doesn't involve an assassination attempt. It gives her a chance to kind of spread her wings and fly a little bit, and it's really exciting to see her do different things. Uh, Very often and too often she's put as the damsel in distress and needs some big, strong man to come save her. And it's just a little tiresome. She's better than that. And, and I like the, the stories we get that it does not rely on that kind of a trope in order to give her something to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, another aspect of, of having a woman write a woman's story is you get things that feel more dynamic and true to, to that experience, you know, like it's like yeah. it's why Wonder Woman, you know, Wonder Woman is is a great movie, uh, but it's not like anything life changing in terms of, you know, like what it did with technology or anything like that. But it's a seminal movie because it was literally like Patty Jenkins coming out party of like. Hey, if you let women tell women stories, you don't even <laughs> really have to. You don't have to bash people over the head with it. You can just tell something that is organic, and conveys the message without needing to make it so obvious. Of this is the message we're trying to convey, yeah. right? She does it. E. K. Johnson has done it now three times. Like, well, f- four if you include Ahsoka, but we'll just stick with three with Padme. Like, it's just yeah. It's really important. It's kind of. Did you ever watch Walker, Texas Ranger when that was on? (laughs) I thought that was going to be the reaction you got.
0: Uh, Let's pretend that I did. Okay. I I really am curious to see. I was with you in the Wonder Woman comparisons because I was going to be like, yep, that's a great movie until the third act. Uh, but yep, you could tell the third agree. act was written by the studio and not by her. Yep. Um, so I'm really curious to see where the Walker Texas Ranger question goes. Okay.
1: Well, his love interest in that show is the District Attorney uh, Alex, I think is her name. I haven't watched the show since it was on. But but
0: you could make anything of about this show right now, and I'd believe every single word. It, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. She it's gets place on Mars in the future.
1: She gets kidnapped. so So many times. Like, it's an obnoxious amount of, like, multiple times per season. (laughs) (laughs) She is, like, getting kidnapped. And I remember, I vividly remember as a kid watching that and going, are they just going to kidnap her all the time? Is nobody going to do anything about this? (laughs) We're not going to get extra security or anything? Like. Just give her an ankle monitor or something. Exactly. And it's like you were married to a Texas ranger who was like, can beat up anybody and somehow you're getting kidnapped. It just like, can we do something else with this character or do we just not know what to do with the woman character unless she's a damsel in distress? And
0: so, you're, you're uh, you have an infinite amount of wisdom more on this show than I do. And I've got to ask, why do you know so much about this show?
1: Because I grew up doing martial arts, and I loved anything that had martial arts in it. Really?
0: Interesting.
1: A- absolutely. I I was doing Taekwondo at the time when that show was on, and I would name every move that he was doing while he was doing it on screen. God, because you must
0: have been obnoxious. I am the worst.
1: Was a kid. It was not good.
0: I mean, I'm no, I'm no different, but well, I'm a little bit different, but was not a show I have any, I don't even think I knew it existed until like 10, 15 years ago, but you've evidently seen everything and own it all on DVD, I'm sure by now. I, I do not, but you know, it's not a terrible idea. I'm sure it's available on streaming on some platform some platform but yeah
1: we should go we should go back and do like a side-by-side analysis and see if padme gets uh, uh, attempted assassinations or alex gets kidnapped more like which one is more the damn one i'll do
0: the padme research you do the walker no i think we
1: need to diversify your portfolio (laughs)
0: Oh no, no, and no! You have to watch
1: all seven or nine or however many seasons that show was on.
0: There are only one and a half TV shows that I watch anymore, and it's The West Wing, and that's it. That's all I watch. (laughs) Uh, Just on you, you made the mistake of getting me hooked up with HBO Max, and now that's I've watched almost all seven seasons again in the span of like three months. It's awful. I love it so much. I've never felt more like a human being than when I watch The West Wing on a regular basis. Oh, that's fair. But yeah, to go
1: back to Padme, we got to do something (laughs) other than the, the damsel in distress thing because at some point it just stops. Not only does it stop being believable, like can nobody come up with anything else, you stop caring because there's no consequences to
0: it. Yeah, it's interesting in like the first Queen's book, I think the most like that is the, 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 the application of that. Well, maybe the second one it's a, it's kind of a tie because of how much those books do a job of re of reinforcing captain Panaka's paranoia. Like the whole reason he starts the whole handmaiden crew and picks the people that he picks. And again, we're, uh, we'll talk about it later. I'll talk about it later. I don't want to get into it now.
1: Okay. Uh, so with that said, let's uh, let's go to our, our worst one, things.
0: Your worst thing, the reason you think Padme Amidala is a terrible person.
1: Mine is the line, to be angry is to be human.
0: Are you talking about in the, the Lars homestead? In the Lars homestead. Can we just okay. say
1: red flags? Like <laughs> red freaking red flags. flags right? Like neon signs pointing at them. Anakin admits to committing a genocide, and she's like, "Aw, it's okay."
0: No, it is not. It is I not. Have, I have a weird kind of rationalization for that moment, but okay,
1: okay. Well, see, here's the thing.
0: This is it's another not shit a good you, one. It's it's,
1: it, it's there's no good one, but no I will hear it not. out in a minute. Uh, and and. and like I know what George was trying to do here and have the the slaughter of the Tuscans be a metaphor for for the darkness of of uh, you know coming out in Anakin. And she is there, and she's validating the emotion and not the action. But having her and, and having her be there to validate his feelings, that's 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 fine. That's good. The problem is, she does that, and then they never address the fact that he just murdered a whole Mm -hmm. lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I cannot help but think that in not addressing it, she allows Anakin to think that his actions are valid, and that they are okay as a reaction to his anger, which of course is reinforced by Palpatine, and thus I make connections between his slaughter here Her lack of action uh, of making him aware of the fact that he just did something pretty friggin terrible to his slaughter of the younglings and and the Separatist Council. It's, It's a direct correlation to me. And like there's there is that nuance to the conversation of you can validate the emotion To be angry is to be human. That is a perfectly natural aspect. Emotions in and of themselves are neutral. They are just signals telling you of something that is going on and are all valid. But the actions that you take with those are not. And if your reaction to being angry is genocide, (laughs) we have to deal with the genocide first and the anger second. And that doesn't point. happen here. So That's a pretty good point. Give me your rationalization, because I've all right, tried. Two,
0: two things. One, I think the film wants us to believe, and one of them's not real at all, and it just kind of stands out as weird in my brain. The first one, I think the film wants us to believe that he feel Anakin feels a certain level of sorrow and contrition for his actions. He realizes it was the wrong thing to do. Um, he is very upset about what he has done, and I think that... He is in that moment afraid of what it could lead him to become in the future. You know, we get the the little couple moments of the Imperial March as the scene closes out. So we're we're told there that it's bad, it's wrong, but he's also very upset about what he has done. Like he recognizes the, the thing that he has done. And so I think what the film wants us to get from that is that he feels bad. Padme fixes broken things. Just like Anakin fixes broken things. And Ray fixes broken things. There's this this saving uh, action that good people take, and Padme is then on a mission to fix him. I think is one of the things the film is trying to tell us in those few moments. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't agree with that. I. I don't like that. But I think that's the language that it's speaking in. I would agree with now, you on that aspect. All this is what sticks out in my brain. Again, it's not a real thing, but it's kind of like I can't ignore the connections there. Um in the third Queen's book, Queen's Hope, it's pretty clear that Padme hates all Nemoideans. So there's something in my brain that says, well, it's okay to kill people you hate. Is that weird? <laughs> is it weird? Yes. Is it weird? Like there's this weird undertone get- of racism in the book that she has to deal with and she deals with it, but it also occurs her dealing with it occurs just after these moments. And it's like, is she cool with killing these people? Cause they're not real people to her. I don't know. It's not again, just a weird thing that sticks out in my brain.
1: Well, and I think, you know, we moment of uncomfortableness, we get more weight to how terrible the slaughter is through the time we spend it with the Tuscans and the humanization of them in, uh, book of boba and and even mandalorian yeah, it's real bad right? so yeah and it does, and you know now that it's an explain it away situation but it it's very clear in book of boba fett that there are different kinds of tuscan tribes and some are more brutal than others but that's it, it that's a singular line to make you realize like the oh yeah the about Tuscans that. that you're dealing with in Book of Boafed are not the same ones that you're dealing with in the films. They're not the same you know tribes. they're not uh, I, I think the ones in the films are su- supposed to be more vicious and brutal and stuff like that, which I mean, is necessary for the particular stories that they're telling. but again, it doesn't justify or or let someone off the hook for just ignoring the terrible things that someone yeah. has done and that's it, it, that's my problem is it it's mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. she just kind of it fades away from there and i do like the little imperial march i do like that she's comforting him i do agree with you that he has remorse for what he's done and we even see minor minor spoiler not even really a spoiler just a scene that happens in but we see uh Anakin at at uh, the memorial to Qui-Gon and apologizing for what he did in the desert and ignoring him and so there is more to the conversation about that scene but when we're talking about Padme in particular and what could have made her character better and what in my opinion betrays uh what her character should have done or would have done if she were a real living, breathing person, you you can't just wipe that away. And that is always just a really big mark for me. That is, I feel like it could have been written. I'm not the guy to do it, but I feel like it could have been written in a way where she both validates him, but also like, have the conversation about how bad this is or how, you know, I'm just thinking of this as we're talking, but her dislike for Neimoidians, you know, you you can have a conversation of that where she's like, I get thinking it's a whole people. I was that way with the the occupation and had to learn, you know, whatever you have to do to make that where you at least have
0: her address it. But she's just like, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of just like head patting and be like, it'll all be okay. Yeah. It's like, and that, no, that's a- we, we can't just hand wave this away. Sorry. So, guys. what about so, you? What you got? Okay. You ha if you haven't read queen's hope, you need to just turn this off and go finish it now. Um, the number one thing is the secret marriage. It's not good. It's really. Bad. Oh yeah. It's real bad. Um, I'm team Sabe on this. <laughs> um, It's a real bad decision. It was real bad. It wasn't smart. It doesn't fit for her character to me. She's much smarter than this. Um, 30 minutes beforehand, she was so convinced that living a lie was impossible. She didn't want to do it. She was actively opposed to it. And, And I understand trying to be in a relationship with somebody and keeping it secret that's one thing keeping a marriage secret is entirely different it it, it, and and queen's hope goes into extreme detail as to why that's a bad decision and and i really like the the way in which it's handled um and not only that but the way in which she fails to bring in the people that she trusts the most like she has spent her entire career as part of a team granted she's leading the team, but she still has a team that supports her and and only through the team's involvement and trust can Padme get done what she needs to get done. Like they can only accomplish their, their goals as a team because that's what makes them so strong. And that's good. That's a positive thing. She, she specifically leaves them out of this and, and she can only bring them in one at a time without telling them what it is. Like there's a the great moment where, um, she calls up one of the handmaidens. And I can't remember who it is now. I think it's Sasha and asks her to make, make a dress out of this particular material. And there's some symbolism there and there's culturalism in there, which is, which is very interesting because it allows the two characters to communicate without using words, but the heartbreak that it causes to know that. There's a secret that has to be kept, especially among a such a tight knit group of friends and coworkers and partners. Um, it is not good it It does bad things, and she should have gotten better counsel and should have asked better questions, gotten more input it It, it is not a good thing for her to have done. Um, and when sabe finds out, eventually she does in in. In possibly the scariest possible way uh, oh yeah like that wow. scared me <laughs> Um, and I think she reacts in the most appropriate realistic way like she has to have this confrontation with Padme that says what have you done this is not good and I can't continue to be a part of this and it may have not been, I don't think it's the only thing that, that the only reason that Sabe wanted to break that relationship between her and Padme. Again, if you haven't read this book, you have to stop and go read it, because it's important. But it certainly is the largest issue they've ever had between them. It's not something Sabe can fake. It's not something she knew about, she wasn't prepared for. So, and to these characters, to fail to prepare someone is equal to lying to them. So that trust is broken forever. That is not a repairable situation between the two of them. And it hurts and it costs so much. It's just not good. Um, I'm I'm flabbergasted by by it, really. It it just, it knocks me out because of how, how reckless it is for her character. And she is not a reckless person. Like she has proven to be careful and strategic and and playing chess moves out to see what happens. She was raised in a, in a in a situation where attempts on her life are all too common. But she knows how to operate as a team saves her life, and so to disregard that is is wildly reckless. And it endorses his recklessness as well, which mm. she just bore witness to on Tatooine. She you know she knows the cost of his. Outbursts, and to run off and to do something so significant in a person's life without good counsel, without asking uh, for help, without involving the people who need to be involved—not just her friends, but her family, her her you know people she's supposed to trust and go to with these kinds of questions—to say what what do you think, what should I do? Just like all of us would want to do like we would all want to you know go to our close friends and family and say hey i you know i'm thinking about you know asking this particular person to marry what do you think i I want your honest input to fail to do that is just wild and and i don't think it belongs to the character like i and so going you, you kind of made the mention of it before about lucas wanting an old hollywood romance um as part of the story, and I get it's just this is not the character that we saw in in, you know, again, Qui Gon Jinn a Star Wars story. Like, this yeah. is yeah where I thought this would go at all,
1: and I think so. I'm going to get into like a big spoiler at the end of the uh end of the book of Queen's Hope. So jump forward a few minutes if you're not quite <laughs> there yet, but. The They've end, all read it by now, surely, right? Obviously. They should <laughs> okay. have paused it and come back.
0: I mean, for reals. So good.
1: Uh, but the the end scene with Sabe, where oh. she says, uh, I always knew she wouldn't choose me, but I thought she would choose something bigger. Oh. Just tore oh. me apart. So It, makes
0: me, it like genuinely makes me sad. Like yeah. to see that relationship fall apart um, and, and, and to to kind of watch the train wreck in slow motion. Because for the whole book, we know that like w- once the pieces are kind of put in place, you can kind of look down the path and go, oh, this is going to be bad. Oh, this is real bad. And, and Padme even makes a comment where she says something along the lines of, I really need to make sure I sit down and have a conversation with her when I'm back from this particular mission because I don't want this to go on any longer. And by that time, it's too late. Yep. It's yep. already, it's already gone. You know, the secret has already been broken, and it's just, it's just gut wrenching to know that it, it just is, is, is. It starts off bad, and it has nowhere to, it, it has no room to go up at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> to
0: see the train wreck coming is just, is just really, it really, really it really hurts, and like. Oh, Anakin's such a bad person. <laughs>
1: okay, well, let's calm it's down really there a little
0: just, bit. I ah, I I do blame him for quite a bit, but it does take two to tango.
1: It does, and I get I I get the feeling in Queen's Hope and and we'll go into this more on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, but I get the feeling <laughs> that like she knew the not necessarily that the marriage was a mistake, but the way that she was doing it
0: was not the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah. She she Which is definitely sad. has she had instant regret for the the pain it was going to cause. I think she goes through with it because of of how strongly she felt like it was also what she wanted to do.
1: Which like, is, is, is valid, but yeah, also I get if you're not telling people something that you're going to do, it's usually because you know there's an aspect of it that's wrong.
0: Right. Like if you're embarrassed to te- if it's a secret you want to keep from people who trust and love you, that should be as big a red flag as I killed them all, not just the men, but the women and children like (laughs) decision-making skills, girl. Yeah, you can do better and you've done better and and you will.
1: Well, and that leads us into our, our top because now we get into the good stuff. And when we're talking about good stuff with Padme, you got to start with Queen shadow, just the entire thing, the entire book. (laughs) Like, it's so good and as much as i talked about you know wishing we had more stuff in the films and and all of that clone wars all of that i am so grateful that we have these books because as much as you know we, we talked about her decision making and stuff and how it's portrayed in the movies at the end of the day padme is a character of conscience of of reality reality morality she is not of reality that's a very different thing not a
0: bit we got real problems now bud
1: uh and and morality and and uh, she's also like extremely confident and it's easy for us to think that a character like that has that all the time that that's just that character is insert strong female character adjectives here but when we get to see her starting as a senator and fumbling and having a hard time and not knowing what to do, mm-hmm. it is a great reminder that the, the best of us have challenges that cause us to, to question our capabilities. But she overcomes that by trusting her found family. Uh, she trusts herself and she trusts the skills that she has developed up to that point. And for me, that is, is really powerful. Uh, and, and so Queen Shadow gives us a lot of what Revenge of the Sith didn't. What I talked about earlier with the deleted oh, scenes and the development of the characters. You get her starting the relationship with uh, Bale and with Mon Mothma. It ad- adds depth to her relationships in Clone Wars with like characters like Mina Bonteri and, and Clovis. And so adds more weight there. And so, as you add on all these layers, it gets, you know, it, it builds the character more and more, obviously. And the Padme that I was saying earlier that we were missing, that that Lucas wrote poorly, is a masterpiece in this book, in Queen Shadow, which is my favorite of the trilogy, but in the trilogy as a whole. And, as I said earlier, that is why we need diverse writers and creators because, a dude writing the female experience is always going to fall short, but having a woman write that experience is going to be rich and full of life and feel more true to uh to that experience. Like that's just a fact. I've spoken with with other you know with female fans about it and listened to a lot talk about you know how this book has added that aspect to her and that aspect to Star Wars that tends to get glossed over and so uh i'm just i'm really grateful we got queen shadow i'm really grateful that it was super successful because i don't think it was intentionally or intended to be a trilogy but the first one was so successful that we got the second one and then it was like well we've got one around attack of the clones one around phantom menace now we get one around revenge of the sith and it's (laughs) so good it's so good so Queen Shadow, amazing! Wow, probably. Mm, Phantom Menace or Queen Shadow is are, are the two options for best version of Padme.
0: Um, my number three is the is bridging the gap between the Naboo and the Gungans in Phantom mm. Menace. Uh, but tabling her potential racism against the Nemoidians, We'll just not talk about that anymore. Um. Although, if you think about it, her restoring the relationship between the Nebu and the Gungeons, does have quite a bit of utilitarianism to it. Like, she's got to have this done, so she's able to set that aside, but that's fine. Um, I like it. She's willing, especially the sequence where they wander into the uh, the sacred place. I forgot what it was for a moment. And she is willing to break the illusion of... The Handmaidens, where she steps out and says, "You know, ha I'm the real queen," and confronts Boss Nass and and really uh, prostrates herself before him in order to secure his assistance. This is a pretty powerful sequence, especially we know the trouble that she has to go through in order to maintain that that um, the deception uh it's just i i think that's something that is laudable that she knows she can when when to set aside those things in order to get things done for the betterment of her people and i really respect that in the character that she's like this is something we need to do and the only way in which it's going to work is if i come clean about these this particular um ruse that's being enacted because otherwise they're they're never going to have reason to trust me and if i'm willing to do this it will create a reason to trust i've shown my vulnerability to them and they are more likely to respond um in a positive way in a way in which we need in order to make sure that we don't lose out to this uh the trade federation so that moment is really cool
1: yeah and you know like you were saying she's taken a long time to build this handmaidens and the deception and the switch and we see the ups and downs of that you know uh in in the queen's peril queen's shadow in particular and yeah. so uh again like she's risking a lot she is going over the head of her security like and and this is for you know you talk about Uh, maybe some implicit racism in there. The Naboo and the Gungans don't get along and they're prejudging each other based on years of history. Like She's kind of overcoming that racist, you know, prejudice barrier there by, like you said, making herself vulnerable and, you know, Boss Nass is excited because she is willing to get down on her knee and get lower than than him you know in that very respectful take a knee way but then you also look at the fact that after everyone like kind of looks around like oh my god did you know did you know did you know (laughs) after that little moment of disbelief there when she gets down on her knee everybody else gets down on the knee with her and there is no question that she's the leader you don't see people right. looking around like are we Are we doing this now are we just all doing this because everybody else is doing it it's this is what we do because she is our leader and and we mm-hmm. believe in her we believe in what Amidala represents and so it just it yeah I mean that's <laughs> as far good, as like right? characters oh you're gonna have a hard time topping that
0: Gonna have a hard time. I, 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 I really like it. I think Anakin was the only one who was surprised by that. I think there's a pretty clear camera shot where Qui Gon's like, "You guys didn't know this, because oh yeah, I, duh, like come on, guys." Yeah, it's Cara Knightley. <laughs> uh, she's a pirate. She? I, I didn't know that either when I was 13 and watching the movie. I was like, she doesn't quite sound the same, but it's fine.
1: Well, I and I love how they developed that with like the Amidala voice and stuff. And Amidala is a <sighs> an entity yeah. in the book. It's oh. really
0: okay we we, I, we should have just called this the ek johnson episode
1: <laughs> we really should
0: have but if was, we did did uh, we talk about that last time too though <laughs> fair fair uh but guys those books are really good they're really good books
1: when we when we are talking about like favorite things about padme one of my favorites and one of the things i always am trying to like find more of is the connections with luke and leia um, oh okay I, I love a good, subtle, connective tissue. And when it comes to to the Skywalkers, I think Lucas did a fantastic job of connecting parents with children. And, and I wrote this in long form in an article years ago talking about how Leia is Anakin's kid and Lucas Padme's, but mm-hmm. obviously it isn't as cut and dry as that because kids are connected with both parents. So when it comes to Padme, we see in Leia we see her bravery we see her courage we see her morality not reality and uh, obviously we have you know the the very basic surface level stuff of a senator and royalty and all, and all of that but what really stands out is how both mother and daughter are the conscience of their respective trilogies both face a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of trauma and tragedy but just like we were talking about before of how the people don't question following Padme. The audience never questions following Padme. The audience never questions following Leia or questions their heroism. Even to get you know more particular, uh, and you never think that they are going to fall to the dark or to or you know forsake their morality because they just wouldn't and. Uh, that's that's powerful. And now when we talk about Luke, we get to go to my favorite place in Star Wars. No, oh, no, it's a cave. The second Death Star.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, cuz look, this Which is, is like a cave if it's it was like made out of metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's dark and we're, there's a whole episode on that. There are several <laughs> there's several episodes. There's several. Every episode's on that. Um, No, but I, I think that Luke is connected with Padme in so many ways. And you can go through, you know, the entirety of the trilogy and see different aspects of her in him. But this is where it really stands out. He, he stands for pacifism. He has his belief in the good in Anakin and his dedication to winning the right way instead of the quick and easy way. And, it's that compassion, that dedication that Vader sees in Luke and I, and it awakens Anakin. And I really believe that as much as it was Luke and the love of his son and all of that, it was the love of Padme and seeing the Padme in Luke and remembering who she would want him to be and how she felt about him and the good things that their relationship had that saved Anakin and so while it is not Padme in particular doing the action it is the the family that she created but also the breadth and depth that her character has been given over you know the many platforms that we've talked about and Lucas started it and then of course you know other creators have continued it in, in developing her character in other media but just every time we get those things where we see a little bit of Padme in Luke or Leia uh, just really hits the nail on the head for me and makes me love her character more, makes me love them more and makes me happy because we so often forget or just don't talk about how Padme is like, she is their mother as much as Anakin is their father. And because Anakin is Vader and, is the has the redemption and everything? We tend to put her on the back burner, but she is honestly, when it comes to developing and and the innate heroism in Luke and Leia, Padme is more important and more uh, an aspect of that than I would say Vader is.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Also, in Rebels. When you, when you, uh, when Leia comes in in Rebels, to me, that's like peak Padme. Like, I just, I feel like you just took Padme from Clone Wars and put a new, like, you know, outfit on her, and there's Leia in, in Rebels. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good.
0: Mm. What, which, which book is it where Leia goes back to visit Nebu? And she puts, doesn't she put on the same dress? Yes, at a from point? Phantom
1: Menace, Leia Princess of Alderaan. Is it Princess of Alderaan? And she puts on the celebration uh, from the end of the Phantom Menace. She puts on that dress, and Panaka. Uh, yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. He has the moment. She, where, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And then even I like in, um, I love in the Leia comic. There's a scene where she, or there's a whole. Part where she's on Naboo, but there's a scene where she's going into uh, where the duel of the fate starts in the hangar, yeah. and you she feels the cold, uh, and you see like the the facade of of Darth Maul is is drawn over it, mm-hmm. and then she flies an N one star, like oh so good, but <laughs> like you you really. The great thing about those, when it comes to Padme, is you really feel like you could just take Leia out, put Padme in, and the story can stay exactly the same because the characters are so closely connected. And I just love oh, boy. that.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: I was thinking no. about this. I was thinking about this today as I was finishing Queen's Hope, and and it, you know, the the little end montage post-credit scene or whatever if yep, you will yep i really the one thing when it comes to connections with luke and leia that i i feel like maybe was a miss is naboo as it's great i love naboo it's awesome but god could you imagine if it was Alderon? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i know what you're talking about yeah because that last one is with briha isn't it it is yeah It is, but
1: just, you add that family connection there, makes a lot of sense, uh, you add more tragedy to both, like, the overall Skywalker story and Padme's story, and she fought so long to defend, you know, Naboo or Alderaan, and then it gets blown up by the the Death Star, would have been pretty. Uh,
0: that might be a bridge too far. Uh, that I would might be like, ha! I'm going to take your mom and your home. It's like uh, they already had to go through that once. Let's not do it twice. I'm not sure about that.
1: <laughs> what do you got for your number two?
0: Oh man, um, my number two is kind of like your appreciation for Queen Shadow, and but more, I think it occurs both between Shadow and Peril, where they redeem where we're. we're The author really redeems a lot of the weirdness in Phantom Menace to a degree. And and I mean that specifically regarding the outfits and um, in the way that the outfits are made practical and not just from like they're pretty, but they're effective. Uh, We are told that headpieces contain communications gear and. Uh, shielding apparatus and they're they're really infused with all of these very practical tools that she can use and will help keep her safe. It, It makes it more impressive in that it's not just flashy and it's not just you know pretty to look at on the screen but really there's purpose behind these things. I love how that purpose is added to the to those things the way in which they take seriously the idea of Amidala as as a persona that they all put on is really interesting. Um, and, and doing that makes a lot of what you see on Phantom Menace a lot more cohesive and a lot more uh, interesting. Now, Queen's Peril doesn't do a lot of my favorite things in the back half of the book where it runs side by side with the movie and kind of explains what's going on in the character's head. As you watched him on screen, I don't really particularly care for that aspect of the book, but the first half of it where they're really assembling the team of handmaidens is more interesting, especially in the way that Panaka is looking for very particular sets of skills and uses those in his, his uh, the practical application of his scheme to keep her safe. Is, is, is really, really interesting. And because when you're watching the, first, the Phantom Menace for the first time, you're like, why are we doing this? There's a lot of effort being put into this, this, double, this body double issue, but we don't know why. Like we're not given a good explanation of why Panaka is so paranoid about it, but for that reveal at the end in order to gain the trust of the Gungans. But can you imagine from like a screenwriting perspective, like getting to that point in the story, without having any kind of body double thing going on and going, how do I get the Gungans to really believe that she means it? Aha, let's invent this whole thing. It's like, no, 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 no. It doesn't seem like that's how it came about. So it feels like in the way in which the movie is created, it didn't have a lot of support for why the characters were behaving in this particular way. And so having that motivation added to it actually really does impact the film in in a really positive way. I was I was surprised by that. I was surprised by the 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 sophistication in putting that plan together from a writing perspective and making that feel like a natural explanation. It's like, Oh, well, you know, she has this crazy elaborate headdress because it's got radar and, you know, shield stuff and whatever's and, you know, comlinks built into it and, and voice filters and things. So I was like, Oh, okay. Why do we need this? Well, it's because Panak is paranoid and because he doesn't want to lose somebody so young and he's afraid that you know bad actors are, are out to get her oh, well, that's interesting, because it bore out to be true. It's this whole Trade Federation pre- plan is predicated upon convincing a 14-year-old girl to sign a piece of paper. Like, it makes a little bit of sense once you put all those pieces together. And so having those pieces um, provided really, really solidified what The Phantom Menace was trying to do. Yeah. it's, it's fa- so I, I've said it before. Phantom Menace is my favorite, favorite prequel of the, of the 1, 2, and 3. And, and I think the more we get about Padme, it makes it better and better.
1: And, yeah, I mean, and she's, you know, a character that I think in, in Phantom Menace, Qui-Gon and Padme are the two most interesting characters, like,
0: oh, hands pretty down. easily. Yeah,
1: yeah I, like, I don't think it's very, like, you may like another character more, but a- in terms of the most interesting, like, important characters, absolutely those two. They're the two big players. The film is
0: about those two and and the the choices that they make and how they contribute to the galaxy at large. Right. that's really what the film is about.
1: And so like just with how Star Wars is set up right now, like we don't have a lot of opportunity to spend time with Qui-Gon. Uh, You know, we have Master and Apprentice Mm -hmm. where we get that more of that depth, but there, I don't get the feeling that we're going to get a lot more like right before the Phantom Menace kind of time like that just because (laughs) I don't think they want to play it that close, you know, um, and really push things. I
0: wouldn't be mad about it. it, but Well, if you think about it, like the first time we met Obi-Wan Kenobi back in 1977, the first time we meet him, he dies in the same film, right? So everything basically that we learn about him from that point forward, except for his ghostly appearances, everything else we have of him is basically a flashback. So, you know. Maybe we'll we'll get more of the you know Qui Gon as a twelve year old, Qui Gon as a twenty five year old, and then we have uh, what's the book called, Master and Apprentice, perhaps.
1: Master and Apprentice, and you get you get some of of one. his younger Padawan self in uh, Dooku Jedi Lost. So there's like oh, little really? aspects, okay. yeah. There's little aspects sprinkled throughout that, but like I feel like Padmé's story because she has so many players around her and she's so integral in the other movies and stuff, like it's just ripe for storytelling um and I, I, again like ek johnson just took the ball and ran with it like there's there's not really much more to say that you haven't said uh other than <laughs> these books are flipping amazing and i'm very excited Probably. to uh to now that i have all of them to eventually whenever there's a break in uh star wars books coming out and i'm not having (laughs) to keep up with everything uh to go back and read them all or listen to them all or something back to back so good stuff there yep in between listening to those though i'm going to be listening to my number one when it comes to padme which is across the stars
0: oh good grief okay
1: this is the perfect (laughs) song my favorite song of all time and it doesn't happen without padme and i am not i'm not going to stand here and like well i'm not standing here at all i'm sitting but i'm not going to sit here and say that i am an expert in music in any way shape or form because i'm about as far from that as you can get but every rendition of across the stars tells the story without words so clearly that you really get the sense of what Lucas was talking about when he said that these are silent films. And so as much as I know, like technically this is Anakin and Padme's love theme, but the reason that I love it when it comes to Padme is I think it's much more uh, reflective of Padme's character herself because it can be hopeful, it can be worried, it can be victorious. You can play it in such a diverse... Uh, v- number of ways and yet you never lose the song you never lose like you oh it's like the imperial march in a way where like no matter what chord you play it in what instrument you play it on you know exactly what it is right when it starts playing it's there and when it's there you can't deny how true it stays to itself and that to me is just a beautiful synopsis of padme and i think like Obviously, John Williams, greatest film composer of all time, not even a conversation. But when you look wow, at the trilogies, okay, cool. when you look at the trilogies, the themes that he writes for the female protagonists are consistently, not. Can, I'm not going to say the consistently the number one, like Across the Stars is my number one for the prequels, well, dual, that's a conversation yep, for another day. You they're got to be real careful with the, what you're just talking about. Right? Yeah, they're really good. But... They're top tier when it comes to the female characters. The Leia's theme, absolute masterpiece. Uh, We know that when it came to the sequels, he kept coming back to write music for Daisy Ridley as Rey, and what he did with her theme is wonderful. But if you want to talk about peak John Williams, if you want to talk about how the music can inform the character, uh, if you want to talk about Padme Amidala, I like all you have to do is put on across the stars and you understand her character completely and that like the different variations of it and the way that it plays and the uh, emotional angst that it causes in attack of the clones is really as much as Padme's character in phantom menace like I absolutely love and you pointed out some great moments I feel like I really understood Padme once Across the Stars became a thing, and that is why the song and the character have stuck with me for over 20 years now as one of my top characters in Star Wars. Wow.
0: Okay. I was not expecting that. I know. Curveball. I'm glad for you. Did you watch the music video for it when it premiered on MTV? You know, back in two thousand two, I honestly don't. I don't know if I did. It was I, a big deal when it debuted. I know, back in my day. Back in my day, no. Yeah, back in my day, we had to watch TRL in order to figure out what new Star Wars scenes were coming. Out. Oh man,
1: the good old days.
0: I, I, I am I am definitely surprised by that pick. I did not see that one coming, but it's not bad. I'll, I'll let you have it. I, it's I, I would challenge you that it's the best piece of music in the prequels or any of the Star Wars movies, but I'll let you have it.
1: It's my favorite,
0: and that's why it's your number one. And I'm glad it for is. you. So, what do you got at so, the top? You, hmm, boy, how do I draw this delineation? So when you think of Padme, you hear the song and it talks about her. I can't think of Padme without the handmaidens and it's the team is the number one, best thing. Um, this is the best squadron of people in all of Star Wars. Whenever you take a group of people and lump them together and give them an assignment, this is the team you want. Uh, they're better than the alphabet squadron. They're better than Luke, Leia and Han. Uh, these, this group of people know what they're doing and they're amazing. And every moment they work together as a team is the best thing that's going on. Uh, I will promote the one chapter in Queen's shadow where it's just all of them kind of, you know, chit chatting after, I think it's after her term ends as queen and she's about to move on as Senator or maybe it's like in the end of her term as queen is they're all kind of talking about what they're going to do next with their lives and someone you know one wants to be an artist one wants to do this one wants to do that and they're all kind of just discussing and, and spending time with each other is the best chapter as a whole in any star wars book that's been written so far it's my favorite one out of any chapter you can pull out of a book now, it doesn't have the best paragraph in all written Star Wars. That that honor belongs to a different Star Wars book, which we've talked about ad nauseum as well. But the team that is assembled to create the Amidala persona, really, is the most interesting, most exciting, and best part of the prequels, uh, hands down. They're awesome. Uh, from Everything from how individual they are and how... Uh, there's so little overlap between them. It's like you don't have two characters playing the same uh, particular role. Where they all like to, they all get to play as uh, Amidala at some point, but not none of them have overlapping skills. And so that makes each character unique and important to the team. The relationships between all the characters are different and yet still cohesive. Uh, you have, Sabe is probably my favorite, but I don't think that it's going to shock anybody because the more time you spend with her, the more interesting of a person she yeah, is. How for sure. How, like, she has her own person, but she has her own person even within the context of the group. Like, she is still herself, and yet she is still the group. They're all of them together better than they are individually, and they know it, and they love it, and they work well together, and they accomplish so much, and we should all of us want to have such a group of people around us, right? (laughs) Who we could count on to that degree, who think about how impressive it is that where you can leave the contents of your life to somebody else to live for you while you go off and do a thing. Like the concept of that, having so many people who can swap in and out of one particular human's role, is mind boggling. And yet they're able to do it. And they're able to do it from such a young age, and they continue it on as long as possible. And not only that, one thing that stood out to me in this last time in in reading Queen's Hope is that she actually had to cycle in new people when she was a senator. That didn't click with me the first time reading through it, and even thinking about when you watch Attack of the Clones. like Adding people to that mix and subtracting people out of it should be traumatic. It should be impossible. How many times do you got, like if you have a good job and you have a good group of people around you and you work together well and you're able to accomplish your tasks, how often do you, when you change to a new job, do you find a similar group of people and, and accomplish it in the same way? Almost never, right? Like yeah. When you leave a group of people, you left that group of people and it's impossible to find a, a, another group like that when you move on. Um, but not so here. And that is just an amazing thing to behold, and it, it it doesn't feel false to me. Like it's a very easy thing to write and say. Oh, she just happened to pick you know the next four, five, six gals who are just perfect for her to be a part of her. No, 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 no. Queen's Hope makes it clear that there is a process, and that there's criteria you must hit, and that that you know there's conversations that Panaka and Typho have with the new recruits where they're like, I'm not sure about this. And, and there's one character in particular who should not belong, and yet they do, and that's very impressive that they worked that into it. And I, I really, really think that it is unappreciated or is underappreciated how impressive it is to have this kind of a scheme put together and to work. And and it's just so much fun to watch. And I, I wish we. I, I like the trilogy of books that we've got. I think it's okay if that's all of them. I would absolutely take another 17 books of the same characters like give me the day by day like I want the babysitters club version of these characters where I get 137 entries and and I want to know what happens on their summer vacations. Like, give me all of it. But at the same time, the three stories we have are the perfect encapsulation of how they come together, how they work, and how it's broken. And and it kind of reemphasizes the tragedy at, at the end, and you know all of all of everything that falls apart in Revenge of the Sith. We add one more to it by understanding the breaking of the relationship between Padme and that group, especially with the betrayal of the marriage, and and, and the lies in which she has to live in that, and how devastating that is. It's very it's very good writing and story, even even if the marriage is the thing we should all be like, no, no
1: not good for you well and when Where's we talk artist
0: ab- boy you loved look, look him
1: <laughs> again. Where? what, what happened on. to clovis no uh when you and and when you think about like how they've gone about making revenge of the sith more tragic it almost always is another angle on order 66 like
0: here's can for these guys right is that what you're saying right exactly okay, like, I this sure is the, I like y-
1: y- you get like you know Depa, Kanan's Master, you know, getting taken down. You get like all these different okay, we're gonna see all these different Order 66 singles, which is 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 good and fine and and you bring in characters you care about and like cool. Like it's a pivotal moment in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But the fact that E.K. Johnson could make you feel that this is just as visceral a breaking apart as that was, like, God, the ending of that book hurts. Like It
0: really does.
1: <laughs> you didn't even have to have a blaster fire. You didn't have to have a lightsaber. You just wrote compelling characters. You developed their bonds. And, like, you're able to, by doing that, you're able to make their breaking apart so much more tragic. And so, like right. you said, it adds to Revenge of the Sith, absolutely, but I think it's even more impressive that it adds to the tragedy of Revenge of the Sith without utilizing the fail-safes of Order 66 or the fall yes. of the Jedi or anything yes. like that.
0: A 100%. It makes it so much more um, relatable Yeah, in a way, because it's, it's, it's kind of like the opposite issue of, like, before we were talking about how— she's just the subject of assassination uh, attempts and kidnappings and all that stuff. It's like, that's kind of like the go-to that's the easy, easy, um, easy approach to take in order to generate that kind of emotion and action. Order 66 is kind of the same thing where whenever we want to tap into that, that, that well of tragedy and loss, it's an easy go-to for that. You know, like you said, we get it in, in the end of Clone Wars, we get it in, even in Jedi Fallen Order, and and so many other times where we re, and you know, Bad Batch does it in a different way too. It's like we see it so many times from so many different angles. We forget that there's a whole rest of the galaxy that that Order sixty six doesn't mean anything too. And so we're finally let into those moments of tragedy. It, it reminds me of, and this I don't know if it's a stretch or not, but like when we think about like the Lord of the Rings, the moment the Fellowship breaks, where the nine companions and the fellowship that they have is actually fractured is not when Frodo leaves the gang, but rather it's when Boromir is tempted by the ring in the mountains. Like to that point, they all had the similar trust and goal, but in that moment, Boromir starts to think, no, there is a different path that we're not taking. And it's it's a very fleeting moment, but from then on, nothing is ever the same. And this is kind of the same thing where the fellowship between the handmaidens is broken and we f- it f- you feel it because of what we know so far. So so much so that when she's writing it, Johnson doesn't even have to say From this moment on, the two characters never spoke again or anything like that. You know what happens to them and you know what they're thinking because of how clearly you've been able to dive into their brains in the past. Like we know what it's gonna do to them because you know, probably we have personal experiences in our own lives wherein we can associate that level of, of relationship dissolution and you can see it coming and it's telegraphed in a way that is very expertly done because again, she does, the narrator of the book never says, and and Padme knew she had to do this or else they would never be friends again and they would never spend time and they would never talk to blah, 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 whatever. It's all implied in the text and the way in which the characters act, behave, and relate to one another. And and it's just, we don't see that enough. The way in which the audience is trusted to know, Hey, look, this is bad and you know why it's bad. Without going to a common touchstone, like you said before, Order 66 or something like that. Like uh, Lost Stars does it when with the destruction of Alderaan or even the destruction of the Death Star. If you think about that in the moments where the Death Star explodes, you see the Imperial officers who like there's been a communications blackout. They must be jamming our, our, uh, our communications. And that's what they think happened because it's incomprehensible to them that the center of their military might has been eliminated in the blink of an eye. We know what's going on. And so it makes the, the, the their sense of loss that much worse because we know what's happened. We have that truth before they do. And we have to watch them discover it bit by bit. And it's just, that's quality storytelling. And we, I don't know that there's another example of it that hits as hard as this did for me, at least within the context of these films and books. Now, I mean,
1: well, queen's shadow came out a few years ago. It's and been a while here we are like continuing to talk about it. And, I mean, you and I have brought this book up so many times, even without, you know, considering the other two that came out. Like, and so when you get the entirety of the trilogy, like, yeah, I can't can't argue with that. It's really, really good. And I really hope that uh, I find the time to reread them <laughs> back to back, because I think it would like it's always nice like reading things in release order, you know, when they release like out of timeline order, but it is also really cool going back and seeing how they build the whole thing and, and getting the narrative in chronological order. So more Padme content, please. Thank you. That is all.
0: If I could ask for, if I could ask for one thing, it's not a Padme thing. I wish we could get EK Johnson to give us the, uh, Avar Chris before light of the Jedi. Oh man, that would be so good. Give her that universe to go play in, because you take one of my favorite writers and give her my favorite character, and oh man, just watch it soar.
1: Yeah, and I
0: mean, she
1: did, in my opinion, and I get to be the final word on this, uh, she, Whatever. <laughs> she did a great job with Ahsoka also. Like I, I so I, was,
0: I haven't read that in a long, like since it first came out. Do you think, when does it hold up? Is it that good? Cause I don't hear you talk about the book, that book as much as I hear you talk about other things, especially in, uh, in Ahsoka's context.
1: In terms of like the critical information about Ahsoka, not incredibly necessary, but in terms of a character study of Ahsoka and in the same kind of vein as you have like of these books where it's, it's not an action book where the plot is as important it's not an action adventure story. It's the story of a character and their relationships and how they mm-hmm. develop in uncertain situations and how they handle dramatic changes and shifts in, uh, you know, power dynamics and stuff. It really holds up in in that fashion, and I think okay, if you if you read it, how E.K. Johnston kind of talks about these queens books of it's not about the plot it's about the characters you get a whole new appreciation yeah Yeah, exactly and you don't get a lot of that when it comes to ahsoka's character just because she's been primarily you know on on screen and so you get a lot more action adventure lightsabers and all of that stuff where it's easy to forget about the character depth and this is much more intimate story of her dealing with her trauma and what it's like to very much in the same way as padme you know uh, and, and Sabe in particular, Sabe more so, in Queen's Hope have to deal with like the family falling apart. You get that yeah. in Ahsoka. So, worth a worth a revisit. And the audiobook's good too because Ashley Eckstein uh, reads it, which is pretty cool. You have Ahsoka reading Ahsoka. But <laughs> <laughs> we will have more Padme content coming uh, when we uh, talk about Don't, uh, Queen's Hope on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. So, that will be coming here in the near future. Hopefully oh, Lindsay can get so? her. Well, hopefully Lindsay can get her hands on on the book somehow. She's oh, had Lindsay, so much trouble. Uh, no, she has had pre-orders and then re-orders, and it's just been absolutely Ugh. crazy with this book. So, what
0: what do we what do we do if she doesn't like it though? Do we have to let her go?
1: I, I look. Don't say this on it, air, but. <laughs> It's kind of like a test at this point, right? It really is. It really is. Yeah. When it comes to Padme, I think our through line here is peak Padme is in these books. So go check them out. And while you are heading to your local Barnes and Noble or wherever this book can be found, because depending on where you live... Depends on where it can be found these days. Uh, you Blumber. can listen to us on, uh, on the Clashing Sabers Network. We have our, uh, all of our shows. We've got Forever Star Wars, Starships, Sith Talk, this show, Don't Burn the Sacred Text, all of those covering all aspects of Star Wars. Uh, we'll be bringing you uh, info from Celebration, reviews of books, uh, all, all kinds of goodness. And all you have to do is hit that subscribe button and you get all of it for free. And, uh, if you want to help us out in spreading the joy of Padme, uh, and the love of democracy and giving to others, you can go over to patreon.com slash Sabers and, uh, jump in on our Patreon and help us put, uh, more Star Wars books into classrooms because I know I've at least sent one copy of Queen's, uh, Queen's Shadow, uh, really to a school I have done one
0: Oh, that's so cool so
1: it is it is out there and uh, hopefully once uh, the exciting thing like with these canon novels uh, starting to, to age a little bit is you're getting them more in the paperback and in the used stores and you know discounted and stuff you know uh, mm-hmm. so more of an opportunity to get those out um, so Queen's Peril and Queen's Hope to come soon so that Padmakon and inspire. Nice. A another generation, just like she did for us. And <laughs> I think if Padme could have one more line in Star Wars, it would be Batch Eight. And that's Celebrity Dies. With thunderous high hos
0: I was like, no, oh, that's uh, that feels weird. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, this, we're going to file that under Padme's butt. Conversation. Not a cool thing. <laughs> no, there's just something weird about that. Can't do it.
1: The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just used it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it. It's ours. They made it. It's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm Disney or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about, but Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.